Greetings, friends, and welcome to another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon. My name is Jeremy Walker. I'm a pastor at Maidenbower Baptist Church in Crawley in West Sussex, and I'm your host as we work our way through the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, first of all in the new Park Street pulpit and then in the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit. And we've got a a doozy for you this week. It's Sermon 103, and it's called Christ in the Covenant. Now, each week, uh, some of us read through the sermons of Spurgeon. This week, we're reading from Sermon 101 through to 107. And uh, some read, therefore, a daily sermon. Others, this weekly sermon that we select as uh, not the best necessarily, but hopefully one that will be very helpful with a bit of variety so that week by week, we're exposed to a range of faith and life. Now, uh, the sermons are available either on Twitter at Reading Spurgeon, if you want to know what we're reading each week, or you can go to the Media Gratii website, find the From the Heart of Spurgeon podcast and sign up for a weekly newsletter that we've begun where you can get uh, an update, uh, get a copy of the week's sermon and see what else can be read if you'd like to do that. But let's press on now with Christ in the Covenant, preached on August the 31st, 1856 at the New Park Street Chapel in Southwark uh, by Spurgeon from Isaiah 49 and verse 8. I will give thee for a covenant of the people. I will give thee for a covenant of the people. Now, just a note, if you've been listening for a while, recall that not long ago we looked at a sermon from Spurgeon called God in the covenant. This seems to be following on from that. In fact, Spurgeon refers back to that earlier sermon here in this uh, this sermon. But he's uh, bringing up now the Trinitarian nature of the covenant of salvation. He says, we've been accustomed to regard Christ, the Saviour, as the mediator of the covenant, as the surety of the covenant, and as the scope of or substance of the covenant. A beautiful statement of the, the, the place of Christ here in this covenant of grace. He is the matter, he's the substance of it, and although much might be said concerning the glories of the covenant, yet nothing could be said which is not to be found in that one word, Christ. Well, this is very sweet, even to begin with. This is a the kind of introduction that you would hope would draw in every healthy and holy heart. And this morning, he says, I want to consider Christ as one great and glorious article of the covenant which God has given to his children. It is our firm belief that Christ is ours and is given to us by God. And that's the the reference back then to Isaiah 49 and verse 8. I will give thee for a covenant of the people. We feel, he says, that we have a personal property in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and it will therefore delight us for a while this morning in the simplest manner possible, without the garnishings of eloquence or the trappings of oratory, just to meditate upon this great thought that Jesus Christ in the covenant is the property of every believer. Now, you might say that this is properly Puritan preaching. He's got his text, Isaiah 49 and verse 8. Here's the doctrine from the text, 
that Jesus Christ in the covenant is the property of every believer. And now he's going to examine this property. He's going to consider the purpose for which it's been conveyed to us, bestowed upon us. And thirdly, one precept which may well be fixed upon so great a blessing as this and is an inference. It follows on naturally from it. And Spurgeon now is going to really just walk around this truth. He's going to consider it from a variety of different angles. And here, as opposed to our previous podcast, you've really got Spurgeon ministering to the saints. Now, again, as he ministers to the saints, he's always going to have something to say to the unconverted. When he's speaking to the unconverted, he always, even by implication, is holding up before the believer the beauties of Christ Jesus for our delights. Here, the emphasis is more upon feeding, encouraging, stirring up the people of God, and there'll be an application toward the end for those who are outside of the covenant. Uh, Spurgeon is uh, an expert in this respect at basically asking people who are on the outside looking in, won't you come in and sit down with us and enjoy what we enjoy in Christ? So the property that he wants to examine, this great possession, the gift of God in the covenant to God's people. Jesus Christ by the covenant is the property of every believer. And he wants us to understand that that is so in Christ's attributes, in Christ's offices, in Christ's works, in his uh, the fullness of Christ, in the very life of Christ and the, the person of Christ. And again, there's there's something puritanical in this in that you might argue, well, don't these things overlap at least to some extent and the answer would be well yes they do but each of them is is a slightly different angle now on what it means for us to have Jesus Christ so in all his attributes and here he distinguishes between his attributes as God and his attributes as man he is not dividing the two but he does distinguish because Christ has two natures joined in glorious union in one person. So he has the attributes of very God, and he has the attributes of perfect man. And whatever these may be, they are each one of them the perpetual property of every believing child of God. And he does this uh, sort of rhetorical thing here. Well, I don't need to dwell on his attributes as God. You all know And then he goes on just briefly to dwell on his attributes of God. You all know how infinite is his love, how vast his grace, how firm his faithfulness, how unswerving his veracity, his his truth, his commitment to righteousness. You know that he is omniscient. You know that he's omnipresent. You know that he is omnipotent. And it will console you if you think, if you will, but think that all of these great and glorious attributes which belong to God are all yours. And he just gives a couple of examples. Has he power? That power is yours to support and strengthen, to overcome enemies, to keep you secure. Is there love? There's not a particle of his love in his great heart, which is not yours. Mention whatever you please, he says, which is characteristic of Christ as the ever glorious son of God. And O faithful one, thou mayst put thine hand upon it and say, it is mine. Ah, That's wonderful. The whole of Christ in all his glorious nature as the Son of God, as God over all, blessed forever, is yours, 
positively, actually, without metaphor, in reality, yours. That's a wonderful thing for someone to consider. You could spend the rest of this podcast just saying, hey, let's pause and think about that. But no, he says, consider him too as man. All that he has as perfect man is yours. Consider the word God and think how mighty that is, but then meditate upon that word perfect man. All is perfect righteousness, all is virtue, all is sacrifice, all that the man God Christ and the glorious God man Christ ever had or ever can have as the characteristic of either of his natures, all that is yours. Now, this is something to make you dance and sing as one of God's people, for your heart to bubble up all that Christ is in his attributes. But more again, secondly, in his offices. Now, the, the three great offices of Christ are prophet, priest and king. But Spurgeon adds a few more. Your redeemer, your advocate, your forerunner, your surety in the covenant. In every name Christ bears, in every crown Christ wears, in every vestment, all the, the robes of office in which he is arrayed, he is the believer's own. Uh, you can almost say that it's, it's beyond office here. It's, it's all his names and titles and everything that is summed up in that. And Spurgeon's pressing it home. He is yours as the sacrifice, as the priest, as the, the one who's laid down his life that he might have us. He is yours. Those precious drops plead and claim your peace with God. That open side is your refuge. See how he's making it personal to us. See how he's telling us, reminding us, encouraging us. Those pierced hands are your redemption. That groan he groans for you. That cry of a forsaken heart he utters for you. That death he dies, he dies for you. Oh, he says, consider Christ in his offices under these various names and titles. And when you do consider him, lay hold of this, that in all these things, he is your Christ, your possession forever in the eternal covenant. Oh, it's just, it's, it's rich. It's wonderful. Now, you might almost say, well, we need to, to go on. This is, it's not enough just to say that this is so. I want to dive into this. And perhaps Spurgeon at other times, he's, he's going to look at some of these different aspects. You're getting a high, high altitude theology here, if you will. There's a, there's a depth and a weight to every one of these phrases. He goes on next, and, and now you're beginning to feel this, this layering effect, this overlapping. Christ is the believers in every one of his works. Well, you might say, haven't you already done this? Well, yes, but I'm going to do it again, and we're going to focus in on this in a particular way. Whether they're works of suffering or duty, they are the property of the believer. As a child, he was circumcised. And yes, we're circumcised in Christ. As a believer, he's buried. And is that watery sign of baptism mine? Yes, buried with Christ in baptism unto death. It's just quite brief here. But he's pressing home in all the deeds of Christ, in his humiliation or his exaltation, whatever virtue, whatever substance, whatever weight, whatever intent there is, if you're a believer, you've got a covenant interest in the finished works of Jesus Christ. And for a moment, the one in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, all the fullness of Christ. 
Do you know what that is? asks Spurgeon. That's yours too. Do you understand it? Not really, he says, but it's still the case. All that fullness of Christ, the abundance of which you can guess at by your own emptiness, all that fullness is yours to supply your multiplied necessities. All the fullness of Christ to restrain you, to keep you, to preserve you, all that fullness of power and of love and of purity stored up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is yours. How can you be lost when all that Christ is, is yours? Fifth, the very life of Christ is the property of the believer, that that uh, resurrection power that is in him, everything that he is, the life that he gave for you when he died, the life that he has taken again as your redeemer, risen again from the grave, that life that you have is the life that is hidden with Christ in God. We're the branches, we're in the vine. We cannot wither until the trunk itself shall die. Because I live, says Christ, ye shall live also. That very life of Christ belongs to all of his brothers. And best of all, number six, there's best, there's something more than all this. Yes, says Spurgeon, the person of Jesus Christ is the property of the Christian. Now listen carefully to what he says here. I am persuaded, beloved, we think a great deal more of God's gifts than we do of God, and we preach a great deal more about the Holy Spirit's influence than we do about the Holy Spirit, and I am also assured that we talk a great deal more about the offices and works and attributes of Christ than we do about the person of Christ. Hence it is, as a result, there are few of us who can often understand the figures that are used in Solomon's song concerning the person of Christ because we have seldom sought to see him or desired to know him. Have you not beheld Christ in the double character, he asks, the white and the red, the lily and the rose, the God yet the man, the dying yet the living, the perfect and yet bearing about with him a body of death? This is a penetrating question for us. We talk about Christ, but do we delight in Christ himself? We're very good at saying things that have to do with him, but what is our affection for the God-man himself? You see the danger, I hope, that we can be very accurate, very careful, very thorough, very sincere in saying true things about God as Father, about God the Holy Spirit, and about the person and work of Jesus Christ. But do we delight in the Trinity? And do we delight in knowing God himself? So with the believer, says Spurgeon, he blesses Christ for all he does and all he is. But, oh, it is Christ that is everything. You see, all these other things, they are, they are true of him. But having him, we have all. So we don't care so much about his office as he does about the man Christ. Lovely little illustration. A child on his father's knee. The father's a professor, a great man with many titles, and perhaps the child knows that these are honourable titles and he thinks much of dad because of it, but he doesn't so much care about the professor and his great dignity as about the person of his father. And so it is that we want to know our saviour. 
Yes, we love his mercies, we love his offices, we love his deeds, but oh, we love his person best, because having him who loved us and gave himself for us, we have all of those things in and with him. So that when God says, I will give you to be a covenant for the people, we have this Jesus and we have all his attributes, all his offices, all his works, all the the fullness that is in him, the very life of Christ in that glorious person. Oh, you've got to stop and breathe. But there's a second point. For what purpose does God put Christ in the covenant? Perhaps it's worth pausing there and saying, I think there are probably times when Spurgeon's congregation might have felt happily steamrolled, perhaps some unhappily so. It's just too much. There's there's too much going on here. But I want you to try and get a sense of the enthusiasm and the holy earnestness and intensity with which this man would have preached this Christ. So for what purpose then does God put Christ in the covenant? And again, although Spurgeon says, when we come to the end, I've got a few thoughts for you, there's already application being woven in at this second point. Christ is in the covenant to comfort every coming sinner. The sinner lays hold of the link in the chain. And God has purposely put it there to entice the sinner to come and receive the mercies of the covenant. Once he's got hold of Christ, here's the comfort. He has everything that the covenant can give. So he's back here working out of the fact that when you lay hold of Christ as the person, that you have all that is in Christ. And so if Christ weren't there, you would say, I I can't believe this. I can't accept that this could be for me. How can it be? But when he comes to Christ, Christ whispers, sinner, in laying hold of me, you've laid hold of everything. I, I, You wouldn't have dared, says Spurgeon, to take some of these things if they were separated from Christ. But Christ being offered to you, you find all these things in him. And now moving forward, to confirm the doubting saint. Yes, you've come to him and you've found in him your life, your health, your strength, your all. But having come to him, you need to remember why you have Christ in the covenant, because sometimes it's hard to enjoy these blessings. You're not sure whether they belong to you. You may be afraid that God's not your God and the Spirit has no dealings with your soul. But then, quoting a hymn, Amid temptations sharp and strong, his soul to that dear refuge flies. Hope is his anchor, firm and strong, when tempests blow and billows rise. Where does one get that comfort? Where does the the troubled or doubting Christian find his hope restored? In clinging to Jesus Christ. It is the wisdom of God that has put Christ in the covenant so that a poor sinner who might be afraid to lay hold of another, knowing the gracious nature of Christ, is not afraid to lay hold of him, and therein he grasps the whole, but oft times unconsciously, to himself. Spurgeon says, if you by faith have a grip upon Christ, then he really is yours and all that is in and with him. Then, again, it was necessary that Christ should be put in the covenant because there are many things there that would be nothing without him. What's Spurgeon saying here? That 
you couldn't have the blessings of the covenant apart from this Christ. Is redemption in the covenant? Yes, but it's through his blood. Is there righteousness bestowed in the covenant? Yes, but it's Christ's righteousness worked out by him and counted to me by God. Is there eternal perfection in the covenant? Yes, but the elect are only perfect in Christ, not in themselves. And so you need Christ because all covenant mercies and blessings are found in and with him. He is, says Spurgeon, the golden string whereon the mercies of the covenant are threaded. And when you lay hold of him, you have obtained the whole string of pearls. He is the treasure chest in whom all the riches of covenant mercy are stored up. If Christ is taken away, there are still pearls, but you cannot wear them. You cannot grasp them. They're separated and you'd never be able to grab them all and hold them together. And therefore, the mercy of the covenant is that in having Christ, you have those things. And then, fourthly, mark once more, here's the reference back to the Sermon on God in the covenant, that Christ is in the covenant to be used. It's the same application with this slightly different focus or angle. God never gives his children a promise which he doesn't intend them to use. Christ is given us to use. Believer, use him. I tell you again, as I've told you before, that you don't use your Christ as you ought to. That's a fearful charge, isn't it? Do we really value and esteem what we have in Christ and rely upon him and delight in him and rest upon him as we should? Are you black with yesterday's sins, he asks? Then here's a fountain filled with blood. Use it, saint. Use it. Has your guilt returned again? Well, his power's been proved again and again. Come, use him. Use him. Oh, believer, use Christ. Please, I beseech you, says Spurgeon. There's nothing Christ dislikes more than for his people to make a show thing of him and not to use him. He loves to be worked. Oh, that sweetness is there. He's a great labourer. He always was for his father. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And now he loves to be a great labourer for his brothers. The more burdens you put on Christ's shoulders, the better he loves you. There again is some of that Puritan depth. Christ delights to be rested upon. We grow weary when someone's hanging on to us. We grow burdened if we've got to carry someone a short way. But the sympathy of Christ is known more and more when you, when you cast yourself upon him. It opens up the wonders and the beauties of God in Christ when we simply trust him and use him as he wishes to be used. And now last, the precept. And here he's fairly brief. Uh, Christ is ours. Then you be Christ's beloved. And if you are not yet in Christ, in the covenant, then there's a word for you. So here's the first application, the precept. Christ is ours. Everything I've just been saying, says Spurgeon, is so. Then you be Christ's. You are Christ's, but have you given yourself entirely to him as he has given himself to you? Is that revealed in the way that you live? Is it showing itself in the priorities of your life when you're uh, when you're tempted, when you're tried, 
Stand fast in the evil day, remembering that you're one of Christ's. Are you in a field where there's much to be done and others are idle and lazy doing nothing? You go at your work and when the sweat stands on your brow and someone says stop, no, I cannot stop. I am one of Christ's. What When the cause of God needs you, give yourself to it for you are Christ's. When the poor need you, give yourself away for you're one of Christ's. When at any time there is anything to be done for his church and for his cross, do it remembering that you are one of Christ's. Never give the lie to your profession. Oh, you feel now the weight of all this wonder. And just in a moment, he spun it about and he's asking you, if this is Christ. And if this is Christ to and for you, then what can you withhold from him? Is there anything you are or have that you can hold back from one who held back nothing in pouring himself out on your behalf and has become for you Christ in the covenant by God's donation? It's powerful. It's the question that we all need to be asking ourselves. And it's because we've seen Christ held up in his majesty and glory that our hearts are drawn out toward him in this way. And then here's that typical turn again, a word to those of you to whom I have not preached, for there are some of you who have never laid hold of the covenant. Now, in one sense, he's been preaching to them all along, but here's the application to them because he's primarily been urging Christ upon the believers who already have him. And this is that sense. You, you're, you're standing outside the restaurant. Your faces are pressed to the glass and inside in the warmth and in the comfort and with the feast are those who have Christ in the covenant. And he wants them to have it for themselves. Let me solemnly assure you, he says, that there is now no such thing in heaven as uncovenanted mercy. There is no such thing beneath God's sky or above it as uncovenanted grace towards men. All that you can receive and all you ever ought to hope for must be through the covenant of free grace and that alone. So to those who are outside, here's Spurgeon saying, If you're going to come into this warmth and this comfort and to this feast, you must come in by the door of this covenant. There is no other way. And then he imagines someone saying, but I dare not take hold of it. Oh, do you dare not? Dare just to come and touch the the, the hem of Christ's garment. Oh, no, says someone. I am so unworthy. I, I don't I don't understand it. I don't. I'm not entitled to it. I I could never, never lay claim to it. Oh, says Spurgeon, just try Christ. Uh, He means test him, rely upon him, prove him. I don't ask you to lay hold of the whole covenant. You can do that by and by. Here's the point again. If you just lay hold on Christ, then you've got the covenant. This is why it's his person that is at the centre of things. One true groan, he says, where Christ has put it in the heart is an earnest of his love. One true wish after Christ, if it be followed by sincere and earnest seeking of him, shall be accepted of God and you shall be saved. Take Christ, he says. Take Christ, says the preacher today. Take Christ, says the earnest witness. Take Christ as he is offered to you in the gospel, as he is held out as God's covenant gift, and you will have Christ and all in and with him. And he's got that little personal touch. Oh, come and prove him. If Christ didn't drive me away, he will never spurn you. 
He can do all the good you want. Oh, trust my master. Oh, trust my master. He is a precious Lord Jesus. He is a sweet Lord Jesus. He is a loving saviour. He is a kind and condescending forgiver of sin. That, my friends, is the language of gospel confidence. That's a man who knows himself in the covenant and knows its freeness and its fullness as it is held out in Christ Jesus. Well, here are wonders of grace that belong to God and that have been put in our possession in Christ Jesus. Let's learn then to delight in his person, in his offices, in his attributes, in his work, in in the fullness that's in him. Let's delight ourselves in, in what we possess in the covenant and how Christ at the core of it brings all these blessings to us. And then if we are his, Let us live as his, 100% Christians, complete in Christ and living accordingly. And if we're still outside, come to Christ and lay hold of Christ and in him find all these covenant mercies and blessings for the glory of God, for the glory of Christ Jesus, for the honour of the triune God and for the blessing of every needy soul. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeremy Walker, and From the Heart of Spurgeon is a podcast from Media Gratii. For more resources like this, including a biographical film of Spurgeon's life and labours, visit mediagratii.org.